0: Thank you, uh, mate, so much for joining the show today. I really appreciate uh, you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know uh, as a serial entrepreneur, mate, you're always (laughs) up to something new. Yeah, so how you been and and what you been up to? Oh, mate, yeah, thanks for
1: having me, Nigel. Always happy to chat, as you know. Um, Oh, you know, I I think uh, at the moment it's just surviving this current cycle of capitalism, which is uh, not without its challenges. It's a... Definitely, business has been on hard mode the the last couple of years, but um, you know, certainly, certainly a great learning experience, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, I, I've been talking to businesses actually quite a bit on that point. It's, it's been interesting, and obviously, with the news that's been coming out of um, Israel and the Middle East and things, and there's actually a lot of software companies over in that in that area. So. I had quite a few podcasts lined up and uh, they, they actually got canceled because of what's or going drafted on. So, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably. Actually, yeah. that's an interesting one. I never thought of that, but some of them were involved in, uh, you know, family members were involved mm-hmm. in what happened and look, I mean, I don't like to get into politics, but we're all human mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Indeed. So, and,
1: and, and it affects business, right? Like um, yeah. if you think of the last few years, I mean, there's been nothing ordinary about doing ordinary business. Um, You know, we had COVID, Um, I mean, you could could write dissertations on some of the challenges through business for that, particularly, you know, um, the the ups and downs that the e-commerce sector had, that's for sure. Um, Mm. Then you've had, you know, the whole Ukraine situation, now you've got this conflict in the Middle East, uh, Mm. and then you've got such some unique macros. Um, So you've got inflation that's been high, you've had, but weirdly, you've had unemployment that's been low. And you know you've got obviously increasing interest rates. Uh, a, a nice little surprise this week in Australia. It's like they think we're all distracted with the horse race. Like have another quarter. <laughs> so they always
0: tend to do it like that. Hold off, and then they wait for everyone to win some money. Maybe yeah, or ma-
1: maybe, maybe the- they're looking at uh, you know TAB takings and go, yep, that's too high. That, that you, we just need to slap you all on the wrist, you guys. Data yeah. tells a story,
0: doesn't it? What? Um, yeah, actually, that's a good segue, and I think we it would be great to um, to to Maybe start off about uh, your early life, maybe, and then get into uh, you know where you started. I mean, you've got such a an amazing history of of starting businesses, uh, successful businesses, um, and you know, you and I have known each other for quite a while, and and I remember I think
1: it's decades now. I hate yeah, it. yeah, probably, huh? <laughs> it is, it's decades, right?
0: And uh, I, the, I I still remember the young Carl walking in from Tomando that I'd never heard of before, and yeah, I thought. Yeah, this is, this sounds actually like an amazing product and, and you started getting into it and it was just so far in the future of what people needed. You really saw a need and you feel that need so well. I think we maybe, we, can we, talk we maybe about were that
1: ten, 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 uh, 10 years too early there, but yeah, look, origin yeah. story there, I think um, for those that don't know, the... Um, um, my university job, actually, I was in the early days of JB Hi-Fi and um, this is pre-IPO JB. Um, it had Macquarie come in, pump some cash. They, they just expanded their store count quite materially. And while doing a business degree, I, I got to watch, um, I guess, you know, for, for all, all intents and purposes, a, a venture-backed business expand all through sort of dot-com one. And um, back when JB had a limited number of stores, people used to come in. You know, I, was, I worked in the Brisbane City store and people would come in from, I don't know, like cans, and say, oh, this TV is so much cheaper here. How much to ship it? And we had this mythical piece of paper on the wall at the back and that was our rate card. And uh, all I can tell you is nine times out of ten, if we charge the customer that number, it was wrong. Um, and I just started thinking at the time, like, surely it can't be that hard uh, to predict a cost of mm. of shipping. And apparently it was. And then... After I finished uni, I worked for News Corp Um, because I'd come from retail, they're like, you can have a retail portfolio. And um, I looked after a bunch of brands through .com1. And what most brands in Australia did was just copy what the Americans did, which was free shipping. Now, I can tell you a myriad of horror stories. My favorite was uh, I had this local business that was selling couches and decided to do free shipping. And um, like, some of these first like sales were like regional WA, far north Queensland. And in some cases, it costs more to ship the product than the product was sold for, right? You, you think of these remote areas, heavy goods, you would know that from your Bingley Lee days, no doubt. Like, uh, you know, a fridge in Sydney is very different to a fridge in pick a remote uh, postcode in the Northern Territory, right? Like, it's like, here's a kidney. Um, and I, I started thinking about just the unit economics of this saying, this is a big problem like um for particularly for a country like australia where you know you have different companies that specialize in different things you've got retailers that um you know some some of them have it easy if you sell t-shirts but you know, God forbid you're in electronics or something, and you've got diversity. You've got everything from a toaster to a double door fridge, and you've got a lot of variables. And ultimately, if you bring it back to the customer experience and the and the customer journey, and this hasn't changed in 20 years. Like someone comes to a website, they're in the checkout, there's this moment of truth. And if you give them the facts to make a decision, that's your chance to convert them. If you if you don't give them the information, and there's still retailers, I won't publicly shame them that mm-hmm. um you know for certain bulky goods for example they'll just go call for a quote and then they wonder why conversions are basically non-existent because if you're not giving someone the information um, the customer journey gets broken then drop off is there so the fundamental concept of tamando was you know the only shipping software that existed back then where people were like doing label printing solutions for warehouses and stuff um we were like well how do we basically show a consumer what was possible at the time of a checkout be able to sort of uh understand their choice and then route that through to the um into like um through the supply chain and into the uh to the warehouse so at dispatch, we can make sure that that promise is kept and it was just i think trying to match um you know consumer demand with the possibilities of logistics and certainly back then um most of the uh, the courier companies, we, uh, we would go through and say, uh, you know, talk about e-commerce and APIs and, you know, web platforms. And you could just watch their eyes glaze over because these are yeah. like logistics purists that didn't have that. I mean, most couriers didn't even have an API. So the very early days, we were the technology partner. We brought them into sort of. You know this um, this first wave of e-commerce. Um, every time someone said, "Can you integrate?" They just flicked it to us, like it was. Uh, um, you know, and then over time they became more sophisticated. And you know, I remember, um, you know, the, the guys at OzPost when they were sort of launching their their RESTful APIs, they, they they chucked us the schema and go, "Can you give us some feedback?" <laughs> and it's like, you know, we'd, we'd done that before. We're happy to happy to oblige, right? Because um, you know i'd I like to think we were the, some of the spark that probably showed them where the potential is and you flash forward a number of years now and uh y- you know it's it's the most important growth driver for most courier companies they've all figured out what they're good at how to do it um, their offerings they have are rock solid um but you know had to start somewhere i
0: mean looking back to for me it was it was a solution to a problem uh, if, you know we we had um Obviously, a lot of orders coming in and and not really much in terms of options for shipping other than Australia Post. And Magento had no option for it, really. I mean, Magento as a platform just could not, it was, it it had a rules engine and the rules engine was quite good. Um, It was the first platform, real e-commerce platform that had a, a decent rules engine. You get your, your, your bill at the end of the month and you go into bill shock because you're purely just either undercharging massively or you're overcharging. And as you say, as you overcharge, you then miss your conversions. You know, you lose customers. So, the Carpet
1: did not match the drapes <laughs> in, in most cases. That's so true. <laughs> oh, fantastic.
0: Um, all right. All right. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah. For those insights on, so, so just getting back to the, you know, you, you saw a need and you, and you obviously you feel that need, but. Like, what got you into? Like, where, where, how did you get started in in the technology? I mean, obviously, you've. I looked at your profile; you've got a you've got a um, a, a technical background. Um, but how did you get started? Like, what you know, uh, starting up the company and 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 laying the foundations for what was essentially a, a takeover or a purchase by a multi billion dollar business. I mean, from 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 the point of starting it, and to the point of you know that um purchase obviously there's a lot of ip that goes into it and that's what the the company pays for you've built a lot of relationships over the time but obviously you started somewhere and did it just organically start to grow because you saw the the need for the for the product was so so great and you just uh had the opportunity to uh present and cut into these these uh retailers uh, essentially into these businesses you were taking over essentially what was in some instances Core to their business, which was freight. You know, in some instances, like if we look at uh, competitors to say, for example, at the time, Big Brown Box. You know, when we got talking, a very, very long time ago. But then Bing Lee, and then so on, you know, most of these companies, they don't re- really realize they're actually technology companies, software companies that are that have a logistics uh, side to their business. So how just so getting back to that, how did you actually get lay those foundations? get the right people into your business and and uh, in, in a summary sort of uh, get it to a point where you knew you could scale.
1: Mm. Well, I, I've done this a few times now across multiple businesses. So I yeah. might answer your question generically. Mm-hmm. Um, so the advice is probably more constructive for people in terms of um, you know being able to action in their own businesses. So I think starting, let's just unpack that a little bit. Um, and this is something um, I actually lecture on university a couple of times a year. Because um, you know ideas are cheap, um, and execution is hard, right? The amount of time I, I see a founder that comes and go, oh, I got the best idea. I want you to sign like three layers of NDAs, and I'm like, look, everyone's got ideas. In fact, whatever idea you're having right now, I can guarantee you, there's probably ten other people on the planet thinking exactly the same thing.
0: But your <laughs> well, ability the to take algorithm is <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> um, but the ability to take an idea and 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 sort of action it and sort of build scale around it. That's where the magic is. Um, so for, for me, I, I actually think it starts with actually setting a big, audacious vision, right? Um, so I think with um, you know with Tomando, we wanted to connect all the couriers of the world into a single platform and 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 be this um, uh, gateway, if you like. And my co-founder um, of that business was someone that came from the um, the aviation sector and you know we we saw the um i guess the analogs in the travel sector where you know you had these booking systems like amadeus and galileo and those sort of things that that effectively connected all the airlines and made code share possible and other bits and pieces so there was a lot of those lessons i think that you could pick up and and and, and run with um you know same thing now with um with liars for example um You know, our vision of that business when we founded it was to change how the world just change the way the world drinks. Um and then, you know, we're looking at the macro of um of people basically um drinking less alcohol and getting healthier and this you know, this whole uh health and wellness wave that sort of really exploded during COVID and is just anticipated. Um and if, if we could basically create a product that could you know, fill that void and give people optionality, Um, as audacious as the vision sounds, um, you know, it becomes possible. And, you know, you flash forward uh, four years later, we're in 104 countries. Um, Fun fact, we're in more countries than Tim Tams. Um, and, um, yeah, was me that I thought it was hilarious. Um, and, um, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little, uh, you know, thing to tell your mum or your grandma. Yeah, 100% like, it you know, is. It's amazing. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I think we um, we estimate we served at like 80,000 bars, restaurants and shops. Like it's just wow. a phenomenal. Incredible. Number, which yeah, is, um, yeah. We'll unpack that a little bit in a while, but, yeah. but I think going back, so it's, I think it's starting a vision because yeah. as an entrepreneur that that's pro and a founder, that's one of your things you must be able to do is um you have to be able to bring people along the journey um because the fallacy of of entrepreneurship is it like it's it's one person that does everything it's it's the most team sport thing you can possibly think of like it may take a founder to start but it takes an absolute team to finish because In the early days, you will wear 10 hats and you'll be the, if you're a technical founder, you'll be the coder, you'll be the marketer, you'll be the CFO. Um, For me, I've always found it better to do with friends. Like um, you'll have, if you can have a yin and a yang. So in Tomando, I had a a technical co-founder and an operational co-founder. And we, you know, we we split the pie, um, you know, with, um, with, uh, liars, for example, uh, you know, I'm the commercial founder focused on the raising of the money and uh, a lot of the business stuff. And, then, you know, Mark is the, the is the genius that put the liquids in the bottle. So, you know, the product, I guess in a, in a consumer sense, he's the technical co-founder because he's doing physical product mm. versus like cutting code. And, yep. Kapono, um, you know, Rudy's a PhD or level org psych, right? So, um, so you know, he brings the subject matter expertise and you know, I bring the, the ability on how to scale something B2B. So I think wherever you can have that yin and yang, it definitely makes it more sustainable. It's much harder as a, as a sole founder, I think, than versus doing at a you know potentially with a running mate um i've also seen the the opposite of this where you might have four or god forbid six found like that just never no. works. it implodes and yeah simply put it's just um it gets too complicated everyone's <laughs> just built for different um it's like an endurance race um mm-hmm. the, the analogy i i mentioned at university about this is it's it's like you've gone, decided to run a marathon and you haven't even gone for a run before. <laughs> no,
0: counts to 5K, nothing. Yeah, exactly. Look, so, if, is, and so
1: you've got yeah. to convince, I don't know, 40, 50 people that yeah. – Running a marathon is a fantastic idea. <laughs> Two and, minutes in,
0: everyone's dying.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, basically, and then you go, oh, "Kicker, guys, it's all mm. uphill." Mm-hmm. Um, and then, look, some people are going to drop out the five k mark. Some people are going to drop out the ten k mark. Some people are going to drop out at the, you know, the half mark. And you might out of that fifty you have a few people that make it to the end. But we're all just built for different levels and different stages. Um, and also i'd say this is true of founders like i'm someone that is brilliant at starting and give me the chaos i thrive in it you know it gets to a point of maturity where we're you know managing single increasing single digit increases on ebitda it's like it's probably someone else's joy like it's, it doesn't give me joy um i, I like creating something out of nothing because it's um it's a challenge right um so, so i think back to that it's just the vision is important right um ultimately then it's about okay how do you start i think it's about build, like just starting to dissect that vision into actionable parts um there's you know a, a, some age-old wisdom that says people that write down goals and build plans are more likely to achieve them that is absolutely resolutely true because if you go, for example, oh, talk about raising capital because that's one of the first things you might need to do. Where people fail, they go, oh, I, I need $5 million to start this venture. I'm going to go raise $5 million. Everyone will politely tell you to go away. But if you say, well, you're not going to need $5 million on day one. You might need, I don't know, 100 grand to build a, to- a a prototype. You might need you know, a million in seed funding to get started. The easiest way to kind of Make a big goal like that is to break it into chunks. So if I look at the first million I raised, um, say for Tomando, it was like I did a first tranche that was 200 grand, which was like four checks of 50, uh, and then there was another um, tranche that was 800k that I think was uh, four or five people coming in for like you know 200 each procs, right? And then before you know it, like you've raised a million dollars, and then you've got some fuel in the tank, you can build your revenue up. Um, you know, in that case, we built the revenue up to a sort of a million recurring. Um, that's a just a magic number where VCs start to care because it's mm-hmm. like you've proven some product market fit, which is what people want to see. Yep. Um, and then you can go raise money. So we raised um, 5 million in our Series A, which back then was a lot of money. Like the, I should say, like when we started Tomando, there, there was no venture capital. There was no Blackbird. There was no Airtree. There was no like, um, like industry, there was no startup meetups. Um, mm-hmm. God, LinkedIn was hardly even around. Um, so I can tell you a story uh, about, um, I had no clue what I was doing. I literally got the BRW one day mm-hmm. and I, it was like the, you know, the fast 50, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And um, just started ringing people because th- th- there was no LinkedIn. And I was literally just calling their switchboard and um, pretending I was returning their call and trying to get around their EA. And I was like, oh, you know what my calls about? And I finally get him and I am like, look, uh, you know, I got through your gatekeeper. Here's what I'm doing. I don't want money. I just want advice. And fully enough, most people just appreciate the hustle. And I'd say 50% of people um, gave me time and 50% of people said, love to help. I'm just too busy, like running a real business. Um, but most actually were, were pretty uh, forthcoming with their time. And it's something which. Has echoed in me because I, I can tell you some some experiences like um like damien who was the ceo of iSelect at the time like he literally let me cfo to do my first financial model um and then later on invested um you know uh the greg roebuck from car sales um became one of my early investors and you know like was a, was full of wisdom about how to build and scale something so mm. i can tell you right now i wouldn't be here for today if it wasn't for some of those people paying their time forward. And that's something which has just echoed with me in terms of every venture I've done. I've just tried to find who's the smartest person in the room that I can go pick their brain on. And if they want to come on and invest, great. So Compono, which is my HR tech um, platform I founded, that's about, um, it's coming up in five years old, um, doing about sort of 15 million ARR. So it's a reasonable sort of size B2B business now. Um, you know one of the, before we even really got started was um, we got through one of our early investors connected with andrew banks who 's uh, you know the uh, probably the, one of the most experienced operators um, in recruitment and hr and right. you know, he gave me a fifteen minute phone call that turned into an hour and a half and uh, you know, and basically ended up becoming an investor and 's um, been a fantastic mentor i 've learned lots from him um, in a sector which I had really no experience in apart mm. from my own firsthand pain um, of growing growing a company with Tomando and trying to find the right talent, um, you know, um, all around the world, mm. which is really hard. Like yeah. you typically talk to a CEO and says, what keeps you up at night? If it's not, you know, your cash balance um, <laughs> raising capital, mm. it's finding and keeping people, which mm. was, I guess, the inspiration for that is like, if we could build a platform that could, um, you know, scour the world and for talent, bring a data-driven lens and to help bring insights around skills, qualifications, and culture and help make better hiring decisions. Or conversely, you know, if you've got people in the business and you're looking to upskill them, the ability to sort of really give them learning pathways and micro credential, because for me, I think, you know, that's the best way to keep people. If you've got people in your business and you want them to stick away for three years, you know, if they're a, a junior programmer and they want to be an engineering manager, You need to be thinking, right, how do you take them from where they are to where they need to be? Mm. They don't leave. And certainly there's some really well funded tech companies that do that well organically, but I'd say that those capabilities for most businesses, it's just they just don't have the in house ability. And particularly with this whole, you know, millennials and Gen Z, like they want career plans, right? Like this They're pretty much starting as a as an intern and go. Cool. When can I be CEO? Um, so
0: <laughs> I mean, um, there's nothing wrong with that, and you've got to believe in your people. I do. I really 100%. do believe that you have to believe in your people. But uh, there's a law of process. I believe in which things go through. you got to earn your stripes, right? You like, do. Hundred percent. You do. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, super interesting, Carl. Thanks. Um. Thanks so much for that. And it, it's interesting you say that you find somebody who, who has done what you're looking to do, and sort of. Try and understand yeah. how uh, this one about, and yeah, and you just yeah, ask like, questions, isn't it? It's, it's ask, so interesting. Like, yeah.
1: I'll tell you what. Like, so I, I do a I lecture at UQ a couple times a year, and um, and I always say at the end of a lecture, like, you, you know, here's my details on LinkedIn. Shoot me a message. Um, mm-hmm. Look, I, I sometimes take a little while to come back to you. I generally respond to most, like, not really salesy things, but if you're a student and you're saying, hey, I'd love to pick your brand about X, like, I'll, I'll, I'll make time. I'll make intros, right? Mm. And yeah, you if, will, I, if I speak to a hundred people, mm-hmm. I reckon there's only one or two in any cohort that will ever reach out. And then, you know, you kind of know that they, they've already sort of passed the first test in terms of hustle, because yep. look, one of the things I, I say in that lecture is success in life is about luck and skill. Mm-hmm. So luck is being at the right place at the right time. Yeah. So to be honest, if you're born in Australia, You've had the privilege of some education. You're already starting with some genetic lottery stuff going on, right? I can give you probably 5 billion other people that aren't doing it as well as you. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But skill is knowing what to do when you get some luck. So this can be, for example, like you're on a plane, you sit next to someone, you know, do you throw some chat and, you know, see if... Some serendipity might be in your favor that day, you mm. know, or do you just keep watching your Netflix show? And I can tell you many a story where I've sat next to someone in a plane or at a bar and I go, So what do you do? And they go, X. I'm like, <laughs> is luck would have it like yeah for yep, example yep. i was at south by southwest the other day and oh, yeah. having a chat with someone yep. and it's, it's like what do you do and they work for a, uh, for a company and it was like one of our prospects actually for compono and i was like of course you do because that's just the way the universe works and
0: it's yeah i mean people you? are so engrossed in their phones now today carl too yeah, i mean just- they, they just they sit on a train or a bus or a plane and they're, they're, they're as you say they're looking at netflix or they're looking at their phone and they just don't bother to start conversations and I've done the same thing as you. I mean, I've started conversations on the plane and met some amazing people, interesting people. Yep. And it and yep. might not benefit you in business all the time. Might be but a cool It's, story. Just, it's just a yeah, cool chat yep. about, about something. or um, you know, and, and you learn it's all about life experiences. And I think you don't get it all from social, that's for sure. Nah. You've really got to – there's yeah. nothing that replaces humans. No, 100%. Um, and- yeah, I think Bill Gates says he, – he always says to anybody who sort of comes to him for, for ideas of a startup, he says, well, who's doing it, who's doing it well? And, uh, you know, um, let's learn from them and see how we can do it, potentially do it better, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. that's the story of Liars, right? Like, mm. um, we weren't first. We were actually second, but we're first to scale. Um, so in that category, the first was a brand out of the UK called Seedlip. And um, it's a very different approach where they their approach was taking some old medicinal style sort of, um, you know, recipes, gin adjacent, I guess you'd call it as a category, and... Okay. Um, but, you know, did quite well in the early days. And we didn't even really know they existed because it didn't make it all way down to Australia. Um, but our thought was more thinking of, I was looking, coming from a digital background, one of the first things I did, I, I was living in San Francisco, I moved back to Australia. Um, the origin story of this was, you know, I used, I used to travel anywhere from 150 to 200 days a year, right? Wow, um, gosh. You know, again, everyone says, <laughs> oh, being a global CEO must be really fun. <laughs> fucking exhausting. Yeah, I like, th- th- Just if you've got a global team and um, particularly, you know, this is pre-COVID, right? So yeah. there is just no... Uh, what do you call, um, remote working. I mean, w- when I sold the business, we sold to a French company that um, didn't yeah, really post. believe in doing anything on yeah. uh, online. It was just like, no, you come to Paris to have this conversation. You're like, all right. So, I mean, could have spent a lot of time in Paris. I guess that was nice. But mm. to be honest, towards the end of that, I was just exhausted. Like I was you know, probably the least healthy you have ever been, Mm. you know, packed on the kilos. And it was just, honestly, you're just going from function to function, to client to client. You'd have a breakfast meeting, lunch lunch meeting, dinner meeting, alcohol. And then I remember being in the UK and just sort of someone goes, do you want a beer? I said, oh, I just want a water. they're like, Mm. I thought you were an Australian.
0: I'm yeah, like, yeah, we've got a reputation. Does around, an Australian oh, have sure. to be
1: a, a functioning South Koreans are worse though. I have to say, oh, South no, Koreans, no, no, mate, yeah. they can drink yeah. you under the table. Yeah, we'll come back to that as another story, but um, <laughs> it's just like um, you mm. know, just, like does, does an Australian have to be a functioning alcoholic? Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Know, to be an Australian, like the answer was <laughs> yeah. pretty much, and it got me thinking. I'm like, I wish there was a way I could go to a bar, just mm. go, oh, I'll get three gin and tonics, but make mine like gin and tonic that's not a gin and tonic. Yeah, and it's really funny. I, like I was thinking about this. I came back, and Mark who's someone I went to uni with he was working on these liquids. And I'm like, what's the idea here? It's like, I'm trying to make non-alcoholic alcohol. It's gonna be the next big thing. And I'm like, I'll be customer number one for this, right? Like, mm. I'm just so tired of having to go to a function and consume, right? Mm. Because the options is either a water or a high sugar Coke. And I do like a drink, like, you know, or, yep. I like a gin and tonic, I like mm. a, an old fashioned, uh, like yeah. a negroni, uh, like an espresso martini. Mm. And none of the things on the market, um, back to the sort of the, the scaling topic, um, were actually sort of giving me the ability to do that. So being mm. a digital guy, the first mm. thing I did was went going to Google Trends and I'm just saying, right, <laughs> yeah, like, what are like. consumers searching?
0: Yeah, yeah. Right? And, they're like,
1: and they're basically like, is it possible to make a non-alcoholic espresso martini? Yeah. Is it, um, you know, can I have a, a non-alcoholic Negroni? And I'm like, oh, okay. So although, although there were some first movers in the category, they were kind of missing what consumers actually wanted was mm. the ability to consume the drinks they know and love just in a different format. Mm. So we founded, we called it Liars because of as a homage to um, the liar bird, right? So nature's ultimate mimic. And mm-hmm. thing, and Australians, we wanted to have a nice little throwback to Australia for a heritage thing. We thought that was pretty cool. But also, it's a it's a play on the word liars. So if you could go to a bar and go, "Can I have a liars GNT?" So it's like a little cheeky little. I love it. Secret. Oh, it's,
0: uh, mate, it's so yeah. good. <laughs> it's it's actually so Australian. <laughs> and I, I originally when I saw the and I, and I was looking at the marketing and the, and the design and everything and it and it, it's it's fantastic. I mean, I yeah, cool don't. Yeah, yeah, it's such a great brand and and uh, the design of the bottles. They all got that really real. Cool, Quality look about them, um, so you automatically assume like it's going to taste good. Like yeah. if I get this, it's going to taste good, and you've always got that sort of expectation that yeah, it's not going to be uh, as good as the original. But then you get it and you try it, and you think oh shit, hey, that that tastes great, yeah. that's, that's yeah. delicious, you know. So um, and and I totally get what you're saying regarding the the, the you know the the drinking, um, and uh, you know I've been to a few luncheons now and you know it, it's it is in the culture it is in Australia's culture to to um to drink but honestly you see every day though. something coming out about you know the, the effects of alcohol on the body we had George July just, just not that long ago and you know they're, they're, the effects on the on the body for for alcohol um, and I've actually stopped drinking alcohol, not completely, but during the week. And I, yep, I was usually having one or two, you know, during during dinner or yep. or a nice glass Plus of wine. One or, or two, bread. yeah, yep, yeah. Yep, exactly. I had one yesterday. I was with um, business uh, Western Sydney in, and uh, with the Minister of Procurement, uh, and she was talking about, um, uh, you know, just just in general. Um, What's on the plan and the roadmap for for businesses in Western Sydney, and you know all the alcohol's coming out, and you know you enjoy a few, but then you know about three o'clock you start getting tired, mm-hmm. and you can't focus, and you have still got a lot of work to do. So I'll put some notes, show notes, in there um, after the show, and and where they can um, jump on. As you say, you pretty much can get it anywhere. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Carl, for for for, um, for talking about that. Maybe just uh, you know jumping back just to the whole. Um, career path that you've taken. And, you know, as you said, you, you had no idea about uh, uh, recruitment, but you you saw a need there and you knew there was, being a digital guy, there was data involved and so on. And, um, you know, what would you say would be some of the sort of uh, bigger sort of challenges that you've faced um is it the funding side as you say is it i know you said it's the the team keeping a team together uh that's laser focused all pointed in the same direction during that point in which you're starting to scale um because they're the ones uh they get you over the finish line essentially and start getting you to a point of where potentially you know you you you're no longer talking to the Early adopters and the innovators, you're now in the early majority potentially of consumers in the market. If you think about the law of diffusion of innovation, um, you know, it's interesting because there's always something that you, you know, that when I talk to CEOs and so on, they, they say there was this point. Is there anything you can put your finger on that sort of, uh, you know, was a big challenge, the biggest challenge you've had so far and how you got over
1: it? Look, um, I'd say overall, probably the thematic is people, right? Um, so um I'd just say some of the challenges you have generally in building your own company is um, everyone would have made, at least made this you know this uh um, mistake at least once which is hiring the wrong person um and I'd say that there's there's not necessarily right or wrong people but mm. there's there's people that might be right for you at the right time and wrong for you at the, at the at the, at the right time um so you know i I made a definitely I mean, this is probably where the foundation of Compona came from. Was you know, once we had our Series A, um, we had VC um, came in. They started saying, "Well, I'll hire these different roles," and you end up hiring, which on paper looks amazing. You're like, yeah. "Oh, this person! It comes from a blue look. Look at the companies they work for, all blue chip. Uh, they got a mm. Stanford MBA. Like, you get enamored by what's on it." But the scary part is what's not on a resume. Right. So, like, so I made this one bad hire, and a week into it, I'm just going to my board saying, This is not going to work. This guy's not a cultural fit. And they're like, Oh, you know, you're young. You're being, you know, um, you're being brash. Just give it time. It'll settle down. You know, three months later, like, can you please fire this person? Right. And it, again, it, <laughs> yeah. it was just someone that had come from a large company that their view of executing, we were a 50 person team then, was just to hire lots of people. And, Again, if you come from a big, well-resourced multinational where there's a limited budget for these things, I mean, that's how you execute. But it's not in a lean startup where mm. you've got to be the player coach, right? You, you've yes. got to be able to get your hands dirty and but still kick the ball, right? Um, yeah. So that's a very different thing. And then mm. when I went over to San Francisco, I had the complete polar opposite of this, where you know, I, I, I was the vanguard, right? Um, I said, I'll go over and do it myself because, mm. you know, back to the one-person army type of scenario. Yep. But the, the challenge um, in a market like there at the time, again, this is pre-COVID where it was a, a, still a very shiny diamond versus, you know, what's happened a little bit um, post-COVID. But, um, you know, you, you're going head-to-head with the Googles and the Facebooks yes. and, and the Apples. And mm. they've got unlimited budget, right? That's and huge. I, I can tell you some stories in terms of some of these interviews. I remember this one guy comes in and he goes, what's on the menu each week? And I said, we're a team of 10. We don't have a
0: <laughs> There is and no menu, bro. Just go down the shops no and menu. get a burger.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And this guy goes, oh, look, um, if that's the case, this one's probably not for me. I don't want to use my own money on food and you're like wow but that was the wave of entitlement
0: um
1: you know um Mm. just a few years ago right i mean that was where the expectation of of tech workers in the bay area were and i was like is this like am i being pranked is like ashton kutcher gonna jump out and (laughs) No, no, this this was a real experience i was like wow and then i had some great experiences with um you know i started to go way further down the talent pool and then you know sometimes it'd be like a really cool cover letter or something can i give them a a um you know an interview and I was like yeah, there's something here but by then what I'd done is another guy I went to university with Rudy who's my co-founder in I was using him to do psychometric testing so I'm like tell me everything not on the resume because ultimately if you've made a bad hiring decision I mean for me if I make any mistake I'm like how do I learn from it and not do it again because mistakes are fine like it's okay to fail and yes yeah. I mean, that must be something we get better in Australia like yeah, you will
0: I agree you
1: will fail you
0: will make yeah. mistakes there um, seems to be a sort of like a
1: it's tall poppy, and yeah. The tall yeah. poppy, and then
0: and then there's sort of like you, you're stained with it for a little yeah, for a just, little bit, and then I, I don't I don't agree with that. No, I mean, like, I know honestly. from the, my early Click Frenzy days, mm. you know, um, Grant Peter oh, no. and I started that, um, you know, and uh, obviously you it crashed, issues back in the you days, know? <laughs> You know, it crashed, and and I remember Peter Kretiri and I were on the plane and we were coming into the airport, um, and it was on you know the the, the TV screens I have on the planes. Yep. And we're coming into land into Sydney and they were talking about how click Frenzy had crashed and mm-hmm. we're on this plane coming into land. <laughs> I'm thinking, fuck, I hope the plane doesn't crash. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I mean totally. We 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 don't seem to accept we, we tend to no. think oh fail forward, fail quickly. But I think from a C, from a sea level down, they want to try and accept it, but they don't truly actually accept yeah, 100%. it. Yeah,
1: hundred so, percent. So, so, I think just to, to capstone this one, um, so I ended up yeah, you know, so tapping Rudy in saying, all right, like, how can. Um, you know, I basically just not make a bad hiring decision again. So started to do the, use psychometrics, um, just bring a bit more data into the process. And look, I had some um, some people I hire, which on if you looked at the resume, they would be the wrong person. I had this one guy, he was like, you know, medically discharged from the Coast Guard, just wanted to get a start working for a tech company. And then like, but all the psychometrics was basically like, look, I'm um, high emotional intelligence, high abstract reasoning, basically every, every marker that says can turn this person into a sales superstar. So then two years later, he's my number one sales guy. And then when I was coming back to Australia, Nick was bringing Afterpay out and I made an yep. intro to Nick and he was like, are you sure Carl?" I'm like, yeah, just give him some options or something. Cause if it vests, you know, like he's really hungry and he did, he became a top performer at Afterpay. So, mm-hmm. um, so ultimately um, you know that's something just to, to think about in terms of who you hire can make or break the business quite literally. I mean, mm. I can tell you stories where people have hired the wrong person it's literally killed the business, so yeah just being able to bring the met, um a data driven approach in to mm-hmm. who's coming through the funnel that's certainly what the compono platform does and then once you've got people in then you have to understand what is your current culture versus your desired culture you know where are people's engagement levels um you know where are people's aspirations um are you aligned because if you do that a couple times a year um it tells us data tells a story mm. so if you think that hey we're innovative and we're fun and you know, where um, we're empowering people and the data comes back and says, um, actually X in this department is micromanaging and everyone hates life. Um, you've got a ticking time bomb, right? Yeah, so 100%. you either have to coach the manager and mm-hmm. show them through data, hey, you're not aligned to where, what people want in this organization, mm. or you basically have to, um, you know, you're going to have to remove that person because it, it's just going to be like oil and water. It's just not going to work.
0: Yeah yeah no thanks for that it's um couldn't agree more and obviously you've got uh, a lot of experience in doing that and i hope the the audience uh, spends a bit of time and and as they're scaling think about that um massively i mean i'm i'm just starting up in my own startup but i i my goal for my business is not to become you know some global international superstar it's just mm-hmm. to to empower businesses and talk to businesses and help um and as you said you've got to have that why you've got to be able to bring them along the journey, and you've yeah. got to hire people, as you said, you know, that believe in your journey with you and have the right uh, sort of, you know, that uh, internal kind of drive and spirit that actually gets them to want to believe in your mission as much as you do. And yeah. it's so hard to find those people, but when you do, you hold on to them with everything 100%, you percent.
1: And it goes back to that vision thing I said at the start, right? Because um, when you look at the most effective teams around the world, yeah. so I, I'm talking high-performing sports team, military special forces, like if yep. you look at like the textbook examples, yep. um, there's a very clear understanding between vision and mission. So the yep. vision might be like achieve the objective, the mission is like how we're gonna do it. And then everyone in that team knows how they play their part. So if you think of a sports team, which is an easy, uh, probably an easy one for listeners to do, like in a team sport, every, if, if you know, if you're the winger, that's your role. If you're the mm-hmm. center, that's your role. And if everyone plays their role, the team works well. Mm. As soon as people, you know, you're only strong as your your weakest link. As soon as someone is not playing their part... Then the whole team can fail, right? Mm. And then you look at uh, you know like World Cup, like World Cup soccer, for example. Yeah, hundred percent. The team that always wins plays as a team, and there's not a dependence on a superstar. Mm. And as soon as there's a dependent superstar, it's like it's every 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 year you see it with like you've got like Neymar in Brazil, and yep. it's just Ronaldo becomes like with Man United. Exactly, yep. it's, it, and the strategy is like crush that person mm. um, because if they're broken, it's like the team becomes demoralized. Where I don't know, you look at the German or the Spanish teams most years, and it's like. Do you know what? <laughs> it's like if one goes down, another sub comes on, and they're just as good Like because they play as a team. Right? Yeah. They don't get overshadowed by that.
0: And- it's such a great analogy, Carl. I I, I, I mean, I I coach, actually, uh, NPL.
1: Oh, there you um, go. Under-16s, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. And uh, I'm coaching summer soccer at the Western Sydney Wanderers' ground, and oh, they're coming awesome. first in under-13 uh, boys. Yep. And it, it's, it's it's actually, to see it, it's where it starts, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why I think team sports, value. Are, yeah, is so yeah. important because, you know, just recently I had one boy who kind of stormed off at the end of the game because he didn't get a, uh, you know, a few minutes on. I didn't put him on, but we we had an understanding before we started the game that he wouldn't go on or we wouldn't make any changes until we had enough of a gap to know that we would win the game because we're playing to win. And it's it's sort of when I when I think about it, as you said, I, I made one substitution. And it was because every time that, that person uh, went out, they were, they were just, the other team was trying to destroy that person. I mean, hard challenges, hard kicks. Um, And I, 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 I took them out, swapped them out. And the other person that came on scored a goal straight away. And as you say, as soon as you find somebody who's in your business, that is, could be an amazing person on paper, but doesn't actually kick the goals and score the goals for you. Um, and then you know run back and and cheer the rest of the team on and and, and whatever and just takes it on and personally and just walks on then you know they're not clearly not a team player and as you said you know it's so so vital to, to uh, the success of the overall outcomes of the business um, or the team that um, yeah it's uh, it's incredible awesome mate oh, thanks so much for that I, I think um, I don't know we, we could probably uh, move on a little bit maybe we could get into actually um, uh, you know, we've, we've spoken a bit about the success factors. You know, we've spoken a bit about you know, having that entrepreneurial spirit. As you say, you've got an idea, you see a need, you feel a need. And I think um, moving on from that, um, we know sort of what the key sort of successful factors in a business is for the, for the audience listening. You know, you've got to, got to be able to scale. You've got to be able to find the right people. You've got to be able to track the right talent mm-hmm. um, who believe in your vision. you we mentioned you know the failures of business and we sort of we touched on that let's just touch touch on that just just for a little bit for for the audience and as i said to you i think a lot of uh, ceos tend to not talk the talk but not walk the walk in terms of being able to say yeah you can fail and but fail quickly and move on And, and as long as you're moving forward uh you know everything is fine i what are your thoughts about that in australia essentially you've come from you know you've been around the world. You've you've set up businesses around the world. You've seen the different cultures. I've worked for a French company previously. I worked for Decathlon, and I can see they have a very different uh, approach to HR, which, in my mind, is for them is very very challenging oh, yeah. in the Australia. French, very French, challenging. The
1: French, like seeing that firsthand, it's unique. It's like uh, yeah. Well, well, I think this becomes back the incentive structure, right? Because the French model is it's they have very high tax, um, and it's all but they have an amazing retirement plan. Because you're getting like 80% of your final salary for the rest of your life and it's uncapped, right? So you have wealth tax and all sorts of sort of things that really punish you um, if you're an entrepreneur or you're making money through um, accumulating capital. Um, So there, it's like, you know, get a good company, stay there for 20 years, um, wait for your boss to retire, take their job. Um, and then make sure your final pay is is awesome, and then retire as soon. And you know that's why so if true. they talk about raising the <laughs> Sad, pension mate, age, you're
0: absolutely spot on, bro. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: look, yeah. last year they were talking about raising the pension age from mm. sixty five to sixty seven or whatever it was. Yeah, riots. And it was riots. They I mean, talking like <laughs> Molotov cocktail style riots. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. You know, because again, it's it's like the whole thing is work. Yeah. You know, uh, do okay, and then just enjoy your retirement, and then yeah. you retire the day you can, and you're getting a nice paycheck i mean you look at what the pension is in australia i mean oh, um you know can't if pay electricity spiraled, bill. you can't pay like pretty much yeah. um, i mean most mm. people need supplement um you, you know income, income. From, from their yeah. kids right because otherwise they can't make ends meet because the cost of living mm. and then you know our generation i mean do you think the average person actually has enough in super i think you talk about yeah. a mortgage leave i think we're gonna have a super clip because yeah i don't think there's like what what happens if you don't retire with enough super right mm. like I, I think that's a um that's something which the next generation is really gonna come into it. So that'll be a, a one to watch with our aging um, you know, uh, you know, population, right? Mm. Um so I think um, you know, going going back to your, your your question, I mean there's a few things you touched on there. I mean, you know, one it's probably failure, um, and then I guess how to sort of avoid it. But I'd probably say like one of my biggest failures in my first startup was like just You know, really not doing good work life balance. Um, Mm. Like, it's, I think your first startup, you've got to, you've got something to prove. You work yourself to the bone, you forgo health. Um, You know, Randy Zuckerberg, um, Mark Zuckerberg's sister, has this, you know, this very famous quote where it's like, um, you know, work, family, friends, you know, sleep, uh, exercise, pick three because that's all you're going to have time for. Yeah. And she's 100% right. She is.
0: Yeah.
1: I think that there's a, you know, it's it, it becomes easy to to, um, to sort of like forego exercise and our health. Um, I think as you start to meet um, really accomplished entrepreneurs or people that have been been through that gauntlet the first time, um, it's probably the one thing you shouldn't because you know your mind is only as good as your body, um, and if if you don't get some sort of work life balance, um, you you will burn out, right? And burnout mm. is becoming a very real thing. Mental health is becoming increasingly uh, uh, something that we just need to talk about because I mean suicide rates are too high, uh, particularly, you know, in entrepreneurship because mm. I mean it's crushing for a lot of people at the moment. Um, and that goes back to thinking, you know, I failed, there is no other option. I mean, you know, there's, there's a myriad of cool stories we can talk about where people have failed. I mean, one of the ones I like to talk about is like Michael Fox with Shoes of Prey. I mean, unfortunately, that didn't oh yeah, Shoes of
0: Prey, yeah. But like he's
1: doing, he's you know he's round round the roundabout again with Fable, doing um mm. you know an adjacent category to what I'm doing with Liars, with um mm. with um you know plant based meat and doing really well. So sometimes mm. reinvent yourself, you know, you, basically, yeah, hundred yeah. yeah, percent. Mm. And mm. I, I get it because you know when you do start a business, it is your whole identity, and whether whether it whether it um you know uh, whether you get an exit away or you know um, whether it fails it almost doesn't matter but it's just about I think just thinking about yourself and how to be the best version of yourself and just carving out enough time to do that and you know if that means prioritizing family for you to do that if it's exercise Mm -hmm. Um, for me it's like um, the first time I I probably stopped because I probably traveled at least 100 days a year for my whole career and I got to COVID and basically there was just zero travel and um <laughs> yeah. i was like what am i going to do with all this extra time and particularly when it was like zoom call after zoom call i was just going mm. crazy oh. I'm, I'm an extrovert right yeah. so you want to um, be with people yeah so i just mm. started exercising and then it's just like pretty much wake up train or like do some calls train mm. sometimes it was just other things and and then before you know it was going to the physio and it was uh it's like it's like okay so how much are you running i'm like i, I did like 30k last week like how much you normally run i'm like Euro and like you can't just do that it's like maybe take up biking i'm like okay and so done mm. cycling back to the physios next is itb glute mead. and they're like okay what are you doing i'm running i'm cycling i'm like all right we'll put some cross training in and then it's like oh i can do i'm, I'm not a bad swimmer maybe i'll do a triathlon and it's just it just starts snowballing <laughs> and so you, you feel gets, good i mean yeah. you feel good
0: right i mean it, it's it's a, it's a whole edso thing right endorphins and dopamine yep. and serotonin and oxytocin and, you get everything really
1: well something in, in in like all my companies now are remote first right and mm. um you know it was over in, in, during covid i was getting everyone on strava and we were like competing and but also like it's it's just um i think last year i was in the, t- the top 1% of people on strava in terms of being active which they knew me in my early days <laughs> so it was like the opposite of that but yeah. you know it's just i literally look up wake up every day look at the weather and go cool like i'm doing my morning calls with the us and then i'm like Jump on the bike, and then I might do some, you know, a um, few more calls. And mm. oh, it's going to be windy afternoon. I might go for a kite surf, and then I'm doing calls in, in Europe. And you actually start to think about the concept of output over yes. hours. Yes. Right? Because so many, there's so much research that says people go into an office environment nine to five and they probably produce three to four hours of productive work in an <sighs> so eight true. hour day because they're going for coffee, they're having yep. chats. So just because someone's in the office doesn't mean more, they're more productive. Now, yeah. I personally think the future of work, like offices, uh, have a really important nexus to bring people together when you're doing strategy planning. I think we're going to go to the world of on sites versus off sites, right? If we're mm. doing remote first. But to be honest, um, I, I think if you're mid career, you know what you're doing, you know how to execute, you can do that from anywhere. Like, yeah, yeah, that's um, so true. You know what your job is. But mm. I think the, the trade off, if you like, is young people that haven't had that mentorship, the water watercaller moments, you don't yes. get that unless you have an offer. So yeah, that's right. I look at Liars, for example, what's worked really well is we've hired everyone mid-career. They've had 10 years of doing their job somewhere else. They know what to do. So, mm. you know, you give them really understandable KPIs and people go execute. Um, you know, if, if, if you were sort of do, um, building something from scratch, there'd be an absolute advent um, like using AI, there would be a lot of um, advantage being in a, in, a, in a cluster where you can sort of, you know, just bounce off ideas. Mm. Um, whether that's sort of, you know, all your own people or with other people doing the same thing, like some of those sort of serendipitous interactions is what fuels a lot of growth, like personal growth. If that makes sense, yeah, so, totally. Um, but, but I think ultimately it's about, um, you know, like if you look at really high-performing people, it's they they understand that. You know what does the business need from me to perform, and how do I execute that? Mm. Versus necessarily like, oh, what am I going to do? It you know I got to be there at eight oh one. Otherwise, I'll get in trouble. Like mm. I think that I mean people would call me and uh, when we started, it's like, oh, I've just got to take my kids to school. I'm like, why are you telling me this? It's just just do it. I trust you. Just you know, <laughs> we all yeah. have we all have a life. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's um, that's it. You know,
1: if it means if if, if the most um, effective time of day is from 9 p.m. when your kids are asleep and you get left alone for two hours and you're going to smash out two hours, do it.
0: Like, yeah.
1: do, do, do what is best for you, right? And if mm. it gives you joy, see your family in the day, find time for that, right? Like, mm. and I think all employers should have a flexible <laughs> viewpoint and then just focus it on what matters, which is outputs, KPIs, make sure it's measurable. I mean, the counter argument to this is if you aren't measuring performance and expectations from people, then you're setting yourself up to fail. Like, mm. That goes back to what I said at the start, like vision, mission, actionable, you know, chunks. Everyone knows that, okay, my budget is X. I have to produce this by this day, like, and then it's measurable. So if someone's, you know, taking the piss on it, like Mm. either they're not good at the job or they're lying. Mm. Like, yeah, no, (laughs) I totally agree.
0: That's right. Yeah. I mean, they're not um, reading someone else's homework, you know, while they're in the office. Um, Yeah, no, that's so true. Um, Amazing, Carl. That's really good advice. And I think I'm um, just thinking uh, <laughs> that what you said about I I've, so many times I've been in the Qantas business lounge and since overweight businessmen and I'm carrying a few extra kilos myself. Right. And I think to myself, it's, it's about time and, and actually this year and you spoke about mental health as well. And, uh, this year I actually spent, uh, the beginning of this year, um, just trying to get myself through a few things that happened, you know, in the past. Um, and, uh, i find i've found the only way that heals that is time you know time with the people you love, time with your family, time doing the things that make you feel happy um, and it can be work i mean like I, I would do work and i 'd feel productive and there 's nothing better than doing something and feeling productive you know you feel uh, you feel like you you 're working towards a, towards a goal that it makes sense. And uh, I have a lot of uh, I have this saying that sometimes people think that their body is just a transport for their brain, you know um, and but in actual fact, if you don't look after that body, as you said, um, then you just when it comes time for output, you're feeling sluggish, you're feeling hung over from the breakfast uh you know champagne or something, or you know you're just not feeling good, and well, well, um,
1: well the second highest cluster of neurons after your brain is in your gut, right? yeah. So- Got feel, real thing. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, thanks for that. That's awesome. All right, going back to your your um, your experience in e-commerce, and you've dealt with um, so many of so many successful retailers, and I think this is where you've taken the what people have uh failed with or what you know what the key learnings have been. You know, sometimes I say in business it's not always about what works, it's always about understanding what hasn't worked. It's just as important. So you've got to focus on the positive in the yin and the yang, as you mentioned. Um and you've seen it all pretty much, you know, you're dealing with all of these businesses, these startups, these com- e-com startups and things. But you know, there there's obviously a, an outlook which everybody has um on e-commerce and we saw the big COVID boom that we had, you know, the, the, so post, uh, post COVID everybody was struggling to get, you know, the numbers they were getting during COVID because, you know, stores were shuttered and so on. And, you know, the people who would not normally shop online has have started shopping online. Um, And I was just recently talking to a very large grocery chain um, about going online and so on. Um, You know, what do you see is sort of like the next, five to say, I mean, Basil sort of says one year, seven years in retail for e-commerce. So I would say five years, not 10, but what's your outlook for say the, the next five years in e-commerce and where do you really think it's, um, it's, it's headed?
1: Oh, look, I think it'd be remiss of me if I didn't mention all the cool stuff that's coming with generative AI. I mean, mm. that's super interesting. Um, look, I would say AI has the ability to, give superpowers to e-commerce in terms of it can yeah. probably write um, content better than you. It can do things with your images better than you can employ someone. I mean, if you look at some of the new like Adobe um, things, I mean, you probably remember in, when you had to do like photo shoots and stuff for um, mm. physical products then you got to go etch backgrounds and all some of the stuff. Yeah.
0: Things. yeah. Deep N- etch and-
1: <laughs> now you can literally just go, give me a person on a beach with a sunset no make it make it more more light uh, more make the lighting more ominous like you can just mm. you can just and it it's just has it. It's, it's just phenomenal and you look at some yep. of the other tools like uh like midjourney and you know some of these other ones that are coming out in terms of just dubbing other languages um, conversational mm. um, there's just so many like use cases that that's yep. almost overwhelming there's also lots of noise but so yeah, there is isn't um, it yep. so I, I, I the way i look at ai is um, can it take something, that or is already happening, and do it better, right? Um, and or can it enhance something we already have? Um, I don't think it replaces a lot of things. I think it either makes the art of doing it more efficient. Like you know, imagery is a great example. Um, it might alleviate some of the the costs. Say like, I mean, some of the stuff coming into chatbots and conversational intelligence is super cool. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think um, you look at some of the. Uh, the actionable sort of use cases in terms of using it to better understand like, you know, things like meta tags and SEO, because it's constant. I mean, often that's done quite static. And if you can start to do that quite dynamic, understanding how trends change every month, right. And just constantly um, yeah, do that. Absolutely. But, so I'd say that that's probably the, the first macro trend. I think the second is, you know, we're in the, uh, the time of, of, of social Influences your marketing mix. Um, if you are thinking about it in a traditional sense, it's probably wrong, right? Mm. Um, there is nothing that is more cost-effective than digital, and I think the second wave of that is, as I think about consumer, having some, I'm having more and more experience in, in consumer now. It's like honestly, like I could I could create a, a, a factory that pumps out products, and it's just like literally take a cool product. Uh, put Some cash in it, find an influencer, um, and then use that to you know drive demand to the zenith, right? Now, yeah. so if you're doing your own products, like, um, the role of celebrities and um, and uh, in influencers, what they can do from a bang for buck perspective, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's some, some amazing examples you can see over the last couple of years. Um, if, I don't know if you've seen the Feastables chocolates with Mr. Beast, yeah, I mean, I did. that yeah. is a nominal size business Amazing. now right mm, yeah. um but you know you, you you take someone that um that knows how to do product with someone that has a captive audience on youtube um mm. you, one plus one equals like 200 <laughs> 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 in, in that example um yeah. so a yeah. not a sports surprises. some prizes we'll have a, a big announcement on the liar side around this uh next week so you know uh yeah. you know we'll watch this space um but i mean certainly that's I, you know, it's something I've been experimenting with a bit over the last twelve months, and um, I think it, it really gives you a way as a brand. Um, so this is more relevant for those that are building their own products, building brands, and I'd say you know anything I'm doing with a, as a, at a product level or a brand level now, you just got to think about how can you use people of prominence? Um, I don't want to say celebrities or influencers. It's more people that have reach. An um, audience. Yep. So I'd say people of prominence to build awareness mm-hmm. um, and advocacy for your brand, right? Because that's ultimately what you want them to drive. Because mm. there's also bad examples of this where someone endorses something and it just, it's just just not authentic. But, you know, to bring someone into the tent as like a co-entrepreneur. So some great examples out there. I mean, one that I think is relevant is like On Running. I don't know if you know the brand On uh, it's like running shoes um they have, so they 've done a, like um, such an amazing job as a as a retailer and um, definitely check out their site and how they do their storytelling because they have all these sponsored athletes and it 's every athlete telling their story and for some sponsored athletes it 's like they give them a pair of shoes right like it's it 's not yeah. like they're you Know they're giving them cash, others they're definitely going to have more robust commercials and paid yeah. posts and stuff like that. But then the other end of the scale, they got Roger Federer, so this is a Swiss brand. Um, by the way, if you don't run with on shoes, um, give them a go and um, your knees will thank you. It's um, you know, this the, the yeah. science backs it up as well. It's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's like same. it's like if you're running on road, it's like the same as um, running on a treadmill in terms of softening impact on your knees. So okay. like, there's a lot of science that backs it up. That's why they've been so popular. But um, to go back to the celebrity thing, they had Roger Federer come in as an investor and a, and a co-creator. And then he's like, let's make awesome tennis shoes. So you actually have someone that backed it because he, he was Swiss, they were Swiss, and then actually then pushed them into a new category. Um, this is a public company. It's listed over in the US, but you know, it's been a really cool brand to watch because this is mm. someone that, uh, and hopefully this is relevant to listeners. I mean, if you think about it, you've got Nike, you've got Asics, you've got some dominant Reebok. You've got all these oh, the big brands, huge, yeah. billion-dollar companies, mm. and then you've got this, this strappy little startup, you know, called on that started from pretty much nothing in Switzerland. Got a bit of, got a bit of venture, built a digital-first strategy, you know, built some relationships with athletes. The athletes authentically said, "I've switched to this brand and it's great." Mm. Um, and then they went on. From from there, and then you know, collated with with um someone like Roger Federer, but like they haven't actually had um someone he didn't overshadow the brand. And many times, you're bringing a celebrity in, and they become the brand. And then if the celebrity deal stops, the brand dies because that is the their whole identity. And I just think they 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 executed this in such a. If you click on the Roger, for example, there, like yeah. you know, such a and nice sight to see. Yeah, like your shoes. It, it's really well done. They're constantly refining it with colors and technology and they're backing it up with science. Like it's, it's a really, really good example because you would think this is a David V. Goliath. Like how could a brand build billions of dollars of scale as an incumbent that it's entrenched? And the answer was basically cool product, great brand, using celebrities and uh, people of prominence to um, to endorse the product and educate and make it authentic, that creates viral word word of mouth. Mm. And then you know they um, then sort of went up up as they got more scale. And then the economics with someone like a Federer would make sense. And um, all the all the the whole time they built this whole brand D 2 C, right? So it's only now since they become a, a big billion dollar sort of public company do you start to find these shoes in like athletes' foot and that. It was pretty much hundred percent D 2 C up until. Years it? back, yeah. so yeah. I, I noticed so a lot of people it's, it's started a, it's wearing really cool it. Like,
0: yeah, like with uh, with um, coming from uh, where I came from, um, you know, the a lot of I would see a lot of people coming in who were in the um, running space um, into into the store, and I saw the, the logo is actually really quite unique, um, and and the, the and at the base of the shoe is so unique that they stand out. Exactly. And that's the other thing too, isn't it? Sort of self perpetuating. Yeah, um, yeah. This is
1: look. Um, you know, I've, just, I, I have, I have not, like I don't have any fiduciary interest in this company, but I'm um, <laughs> absolute, absolute fanboy. Um, and yeah. then we, we've certainly taken um, a lot of um, inspiration from that. That's one of the best consumer uh, example, like examples of a digital first that's gone global. Um, really own the US as well, and look. If I speak to any professional athlete that's not sponsored by another brand, um, they're pretty much wearing on.
0: <laughs> like it's
1: it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's that noticeable. Yeah, well, I noticed that, that
0: you guys actually um, partnered with uh, Weight Watchers.
1: Yeah, well, we do. So with, when I say liars. people of prominence, so yeah, yeah we we, do, we 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 find different um, um, partners um, to hit different. Um, demographics and uh, create aware, like Weight Watchers is a great um, example yeah. because one of the things about Myers is we're, we're really low-calorie, right? Um, yeah. We're not no calorie but we're ultra-low-calorie in most cases. So just doing something simple like swapping your daily alcoholic drink or a liar's. Uh, so I'll give you an example like uh, a, a traditional Negroni might have 300 calories. You can make a no groni, so make it with liars and yeah. you're sub 100, right? So wow, it may not sound difference. like much, but if you're particularly, that's why the Weight Watches um, example is quite in Because if you don't understand calories and um, whatnot, just to make it into points, right? Like mm. being able to sort of educate consumers and say, hey, if you are looking to cut out, I mean, probably the biggest thing, if you ever want to lose weight, you just cut out the booze because it's empty yes. calories. Yes, so well, I did that. I lost six you know, kilos um, in two weeks. Yep,
0: it's <laughs> that simple. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was, I was, I was yeah. definitely over my, my weight limit. But, yeah, you're so right. And, 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 and it's hard. It is so hard. You want to replace it with something. Humans have that uh, uh, connection. Like there's an association with things they do during the day. They sit down. They have dinner. They have a glass of wine. Um, I think we might wrap it up there, mate. And look, I really, really appreciate your time uh, coming on the show. Hopefully, you can uh, you can come back on the show uh, next year when we. Um We've we've got quite a few uh, guests coming on next year, but I'm looking to to do uh, continues to to do the podcast uh, every every week. Now, I, I for every guest, I like to give them uh, some merch, and, and I know you used to have some amazing merch at mando <laughs> and I remember Fran used to uh, give me some really cool stuff. Um, but I've got these uh, new shirts. Very cool. Yeah, so you can see that there. All right. Yeah. I'm going to send you one of these shirts. Now you, nice. you can only get them from being a guest on the show, <laughs> this particular design. So um, now it comes in white and uh, black. So you tell me what size you are and what color. And I've also got one of these amazing mugs. All right. So I'll give you one of these as well. And uh, look, Matt, again, I appreciate your time so much and I really hope uh, and I know the audience will will um, thoroughly enjoy Hearing your your journey about your journey, and I'd love to have you back on the show again yeah, we'll uh, in the future. Nice. Thank you so much for your time.
1: No worries. Thanks, Cheers,